We should be very careful about artificial intelligence. We are summoning the demon. Hey, welcome back to the Babylon Singularity Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Herter. Today, we're going to keep going in Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to pick up in verse 7. Uh, last episode, we got through verses 1 through 6, which told us about the dragon. The dragon, his name is Apollyon. He is the destroyer. He is the opposer of God. He opposes God, that is why the dragon is sitting before the woman. That is why the dragon is trying to devour the male child that the woman is giving birth to. The dragon wants to devour the male child because the dragon is the adversary. He is the great opposer of God. He is Apollyon, the destroyer. So last week we, we got into that and we also got into the victory of God in Jesus Christ in his death, his resurrection and in his ascension, that it was the male child that the woman gives birth to in Revelation chapter 12 is caught up to the throne of God. That is the ascension of Jesus so today we're going to pick up from where we left off last week. We're going to get into verses 7 through 12 in Revelation 12. So if you want to grab your Bible, glad you joined me on this episode. I think this is going to be a, I'm excited about this episode. Um, it is really cool when you get to um, connect the dots between God's great plan of salvation, his victory over the enemy, and understand how the enemy is at work behind the scenes even today, how we can recognize it and how we can overcome it. That's what I want to do today. Um, start off with a question for you out there. Does it seem odd to anyone how much accusation there is in the world today? Does it seem weird that most of the social media activity is based on one form of accusation or another, and then people's responses to the accusation, either how accurate or inaccurate the accusation is or a defense of the accusation? Why are all of these accusations flying around nonstop? And this is what I mean. We've got this thing we called, we call cancel culture going on right now. What is cancel culture? Cancel culture is if uh, certain elements of the population don't like you, if they don't like what you say, if they don't like what you stand for, if they don't like you for whatever reason they come up with, they cancel you. They accuse you, you're, you're some sort of offender of a culture war on one side or the other. You know, uh, you are, you know, unpatriotic. You are a sexist. You are uh, homophobic. You are, uh, uh, did I say racist? I don't know. I can't even remember which. Just the list is very long in terms of the accusations that are flying around in our world. My question is, is, where are these accusations coming from? Why are we living in such a culture 
of accusation? Why is this spirit of accusation reigning in our culture today? Want to answer that question? Want to get into the um, the details of Revelation 12 because it is such a key chapter to understand the adversary, to understand Apollyon, to understand his plan, his purpose, how he operates, and to understand God's answer to Apollyon, to understand God's redemptive plan revealed through Jesus Christ and how we can participate with God by his spirit, we can understand what's happening in the culture around us, and we can actually rise above it and overcome in the name of Jesus. So I want to get into that today. Um, you know, we spent the last few episodes actually tackling some of this last day's culture, culture in the end times. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and then again in, in the letter of Jude, they warn us, the Bible warns us, that in the last days, perilous times would come. In the last days, scoffers would arise. There would be opposers, right? Paul talks about Janus and Jambres, right? The magicians who opposed Moses. Jude referred to Korah, who opposed Moses. But we know, Jude tells us, and the book of Exodus actually tells us, that Korah wasn't rebelling against Moses primarily. The Lord came in and said, you know what, uh, Moses, step aside. I'm going to tell you something. You know what, separate the camps. Moses, you stand there. Korah, you stand over there. And if... Korah dies of natural means. If he dies a death like anybody else, then you'll know that what he did was no big deal. But if the earth opens up and swallows Korah, then you will know for a fact that his rebellion was not against you, Moses. His rebellion was against me, the Lord. And spoiler alert, Korah didn't die like any other man. The earth opened up and swallowed Korah and his camp. That is the amount of emphasis the Lord wants to put on this point. That this opposition, this end time opposition that is arising in our lawless culture is a big deal. Because when you oppose men of God, when you oppose the word of God, when you oppose the truth, God says, you oppose me. Jesus said to his disciples, you know, don't be surprised when people hate you. It's not you that they hate. They don't hate you. They hate me. So you know how people really, you know, they just generally the world just hates Christians. Like, oh, we can't stand those Christians. We hate them. Just hate them. We hate Christians. Hate them. It's not, it's, it's, you know, don't take it personally, saints. It's not you. They hate 
God. They hate Jesus. Jesus says that very clearly. It's not you. They hate. It's me. So we're seeing the rise of an opposition to God in our culture. And this opposition is being built upon the foundation of accusation. What is going on? Why is this why is this end time move that's filled with accusation that's building an opposition party rising up in our day? Revelation chapter 12 gives us the answer to that question. Revelation 12 ties the thread between 2 Timothy 3, that in the last days, perilous times would come, the culture of lawlessness revealed that Paul writes about in 2 Timothy 3 is tied together with Jude, and it is revealed this last day culture of opposition against God, there is, there, it is revealed why this is happening, why this is occurring. Revelation 12 again pulls back the curtain. Revelation, the book of Revelation, the name Revelation means unveiling. We pull back the curtain. It's like being in the Wizard of Oz. See the big scary green face up there saying all sorts of scary things in a, in, a, in, a, in a big loud voice and it's terrifying and then the book of Revelation pulls back the curtain. It's like, no, there's actually like a little dweeb back there doing this stuff. So we're going we're gonna to pull back the curtain in Revelation 12 today. We're going to discover who it is behind the scenes that's raising up this last day opposition party. Opposing who? Opposing Christians? Well, yeah, kind of. Opposing the Bible? Yeah, definitely. But more than anything, opposing God himself. Opposing the Lord. Just as Korah opposed the Lord. Just as Cain opposed the Lord. Just as Balaam was motivated by greed to oppose the Lord. So this last day generation is rising up. Accusations are flying everywhere. And a lot of times you're seeing Christians getting caught up either in the accusations itself or in some form of defense of the accusations. When the Bible gives us the inside information, the Bible pulls back the curtain, reveals what's really happening, and informs us on how we can overcome. So go ahead and open up your Bibles with me. Revelation chapter 12. Father, we look to you, God. We look to your word now. We just ask you to open it up to us. We need you to speak to us by your spirit. We're asking you, Father, that you would give us eyes to see and ears 
to hear, a mind that understands, and a heart that bears fruit a hundredfold. God, fill our lives with your love, with your joy, with your peace, with your patience, with long-suffering endurance. It is for your glory, God, we live. It is we exist for you, oh God. Open your word to us. Fill us with your spirit. Have your way in this episode, in this podcast, Father. Thank you. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. So like the last episode, we got through verses 1 through 6. Again, the dragon standing before the woman, the devourer, the one who wants to devour, the one who wants to destroy. Revelation chapter 9 names him Apollyon, the destroyer unable to destroy the child. The child is caught up to the throne of God. And we get to verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows his time. Is short. So Apollyon, when he fails to devour the child and the child is caught up, something happens. The next thing that happens. War. Rises. In heaven. So, what is it that happens? What is it that happens in the heavenly scene when this just before war breaks out in heaven? Well, the child escapes the dragon and is caught up to the throne of God. And we know from last episode that that is the ascension of Jesus. So when Jesus rises in heaven and takes his rightful place at the right hand of God, the next event that happens in heaven is a war. Now, why would a war suddenly break out after Jesus ascends to the right hand of God? Remember, Jesus 
got the keys of death and Hades. He has authority at every level. So the God on high wraps himself in flesh, becomes a man, dies on the cross, descends into the lowest parts of Sheol. On the third day, he is risen. And then some 50 days later, he ascends into heaven where he reigns forevermore. And Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth have been given unto me. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel sees a vision of Jesus being received in heaven, the one like a son of man coming in the clouds of heaven, being awarded a kingdom that would never end. All authority given unto Jesus Christ, exalted above the highest heaven. And what is his decree as he sits empowered at the right hand of God. Apparently, he is there to expel the dragon. Because once the, the male child is caught up to God, war breaks out. So the ascension of Jesus means the expelling of the dragon. But why was the why is the dragon? Why is Satan? Why is Apollyon in heaven in the first place? Why is he there? Why does he even need to be expelled? You just think like God would be like, "Yo, dude, what are you doing here? You're not welcome here. Get out." But apparently not. Apparently Satan has some form of ministry, some form of activity, a role to play, Apollyon, the accuser, has a role in heaven. What is his role? His role is revealed in verse 10 and 11, where he says, the salvation and power and kingdom of our God the authority of his Christ have come. So Jesus, the authority of Christ has come into heaven. Jesus reigning at the right hand of God at his ascension. And what, is, what happens? He says, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. So Jesus, the power of the Christ comes. The one like the son of man enters in before the ancient of days. He is awarded a kingdom and authority that never ends. And what is his first decree? His first decree is throw down the accuser. Throw down Apollyon. He is no longer welcome. He is now unemployed. Well, what was his employment in heaven? What was his role? What was his ministry in heaven? He was doing something up there. It says the accuser of the brothers, the one who accuses them night and day before our God. Satan's role in heaven 
before God was to be an accuser. He would accuse men before God night and day. Very clearly in verse 10. The accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them night and day before God. Now, is there any other biblical evidence in Scripture that points to uh, Satan as being the accuser of men before God? Well, we do have the account in Job, right, where Satan is patrolling the earth. He appears before God, and God brings up Job. Hey, have you considered my servant Job? And what does Satan do? He accuses Job. What, does Job fear you for nothing? He only fears you because of what you do for him. As soon as you lift what you're doing for him, he'll curse you to your face. The accuser, accusing Job. Again, we see Satan in Zechariah chapter 3, a vision of Satan standing at the right hand of the priest, Joshua, and doing what? Accusing him. Accusing Joshua. Joshua in the vision is clothed in filthy rags, and Satan is at his right hand accusing him. So what is the beauty of accusation in Satan's ministry? What is he wanting to do with accusation? Well, we already know from last episode that Satan, Apollyon, his name is the destroyer. He wants to destroy. Why did he accuse Job? Because he wants to destroy Job. Why did he accuse Joshua the priest, the high priest? Because he wants to destroy Joshua. Not only does he want to destroy Joshua, he also wants to destroy the people of God. He wants to devour the woman. He wants to kill the woman if he gets the chance. So beyond just destroying Joshua, which he surely wants to do, he wants to destroy Israel. How does Satan destroy? He destroys through the vehicle of accusation. He wants to criminalize men and women. He wants to level accusations So that it leaves the accused without any recourse, just like Joshua. In fact, let's just open there really quick because I think it'll illustrate my point when I'm when I'm trying to get to here. So if you open to Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, chapter three, verse one, in a in a vision, Zechariah says. He showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. 
Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. So in the vision of Zechariah 3, the high priest Joshua is standing and, the, and Satan is standing next to him to accuse him. He is accused. We don't have the list of accusations, but we know Joshua is sitting there accused and guilty. He's guilty. Satan isn't just making stuff up. That isn't true, necessarily. He is a deceiver, and truth is his enemy. But in heaven, I don't think he can lie in heaven. He's got to actually make real accusations. So he's accusing Joshua of real things. It's not that Joshua is innocent. It's that Satan wants to see Joshua destroyed. Satan wants Joshua criminalized, canceled, and destroyed. But is that the heart of the Lord? The Lord rebukes Satan. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. And the Lord gives Joshua pure clothing. He removes the filthy garments. He removes the guilt and stains that are real. And he replaces them with redemption. And so right here we see the two ministries. One ministry of Satan to accuse and destroy Joshua the high priest. And we see the ministry of the Lord who intercedes for Joshua, who intercedes for him and gives him pure clothing. He removes the guilt. He removes the accusations that are set against Joshua, and he sets him free. It's the difference between accusation and intercession. Accusation points to your opposition and levels claims of offense to criminalize and cancel and destroy your opposition. The Lord Jesus looks at his opposition and he intercedes. He prays for them. Remember the son, the child that was born of the woman, who was born of Israel, the Messiah, the Savior, who the dragon wanted to devour, but was caught up to the throne of God. He is the one mediator between man and God. He is the one who ever lives to make intercession. 
So the child who is exalted and caught up to the throne is an intercessor. As the intercessor takes his place at the right hand of God, his decree is the accuser is unemployed. There is no room in heaven for the accuser or his accusations. So when the dragon, the accuser, Satan, the destroyer, freaks out that he is no longer welcome, that his place in heaven, his role has been removed, his employment has been terminated, his place of accusation no longer exists and that he is being expelled from heaven, he doesn't take it lying down. He wants to stay. And he wants to use every means at his disposal to stay in heaven. Of course, that doesn't work out for Apollyon. That doesn't work out for Satan. Because compared to God... And his Christ, Satan is very small and powerless. So Michael and his archangels are given the order by the Lord of hosts. Jesus commands his angel armies to remove the dragon and remove all of the angels who are loyal to him. Satan has been removed from the equation. He is no longer part of the heavenly equation. God doesn't need Satan to accuse anyone because his accusations have now been answered. Finally and forever, in the blood of Jesus Christ, every accusation that Satan has against you is canceled by the blood of Jesus. His role of accusation, his ministry of accusation is no longer relevant. There is no one in heaven to accuse you anymore. There is no one before the throne of God accusing you. You only have an intercessor. You only have an intercessor who bled perfect blood for you, who has been tempted in every point just like you, who is acquainted with your sorrow, acquainted with your grief. He is a mediator. Just as the woman who was caught in adultery it's ready to be stoned. The accusations were flying against her. The men, the accusers had their stones. They were ready to throw and stone that woman to death. Caught in the very act. Was she innocent? She was not. Were the accusations true? They were. 
But Jesus stepped in. Who among you who doesn't have sin, go ahead, throw that first stone. And they all dropped their stones one by one. Jesus disarmed the accusers. The accusations that were true against that woman caught in adultery. Jesus disarmed. One by one, they dropped their stones. They all walked away. The accuser disarmed. Jesus turns to the woman and says, huh, where'd all the accusers go? Where did your accusers go? Isn't there anyone left to accuse you? The answer was, yes, Lord, there's one more who can accuse me. It's you. You are perfect. If you want to accuse me before God, I have no recourse. I am completely in your hands. And Jesus says to the woman, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Jesus is not an accuser. He is an intercessor. He is interceding for you. He died for you. He will not accuse you. If you choose to reject his love, if you choose to reject the invitation of heaven, if you align with darkness and your fate is sealed along with the accuser. You are choosing the path of the accuser. You are choosing the path of the destroyer. And you will share the same fate. Not because Satan will accuse you, but because you stand condemned already. You are condemned already. Jesus isn't here to condemn you. You're already condemned. Jesus isn't here to kill you, to make sure you die a horrible death. You're already dead. He is reaching out his hand as the only intercessor in heaven and earth with all authority over the dragon, over all the authority over his accusations. And Jesus is reaching his hand into your life saying, I died for you. I've disarmed the accuser. No accusation in heaven can stand against you. I have answered every accusation with perfect blood. I am the intercessor. Follow me. Follow me. And my blood will answer every accusation. The role of the accuser is gone. There is no accuser in heaven, only an intercessor now. 
There is no one to accuse you before God. Satan used to be up there. He used to be accusing folks day and night, all day long, all night long, accusing people, accusing men and women before God. But that was until Jesus left his throne, wrapped himself in flesh, died the Lamb of God, shed perfect blood, descended into Sheol, the bottom parts of the earth, resurrected, overcame death, and ascended with all authority in heaven given to him at his reception, his ascension. He drove the accuser out. He terminated his employment. He terminated the role of accusation in heaven. So there is no more accusation. He drove, released Michael and his angels to drive the uh, uh, dragon and his angels out of heaven. And there's no place for them in heaven anymore. They will be received in heaven no longer. The accuser of the brothers has been thrown down. Where was he thrown down to? He was thrown down to the earth. In this realm that we live, me and you live right now, look around this, this realm that we're in right now. This is called the earth, okay? That's where we are. Revelation 12 says the accuser who can't operate in heaven with his accusations anymore has been driven out of heaven and is now active behind the scenes in the earth. And what do you think the accuser of the brethren wants to do behind the scenes in the earth? What, do you, what possible motivation? What, what, what could he be up to? I wonder. Scratch your head for like three seconds and think about what could the accuser want to be doing in the earth behind the scenes right now? Do you think he'd want to be, I don't know, inciting a bunch of accusations for people to be leveling endless accusations and canceling each other nonstop in an ever escalating nonstop war of accusation. Do you think he might be interested in that? Do you think he might be behind cancel culture? Do you think he might be behind accusing other people nonstop? You think he might want to be part of that? He absolutely does. And why does the accuser want us? Why does he want this culture of accusation? Why? Because he's raising up an end time opposition party. He's raising up an end time culture of lawlessness. He's raising up Janus and Jambres to oppose, not Moses, but to oppose the Lord. He's raising up Korah and his followers to oppose, not Moses, but to oppose the Lord. That's what all this accusation's about. Satan is raising up his end time opposition party. The dragon, Apollyon, the destroyer, the adversary, he is the great opposer of God. How does he oppose God and bring destruction to God's creation? He does it through accusation. Accusation is the ministry of Satan. So when you're tempted 
to jump in the game, when you're tempted, when you see something in social media or gossip that's rolling around in one form or another, and your first inclination is to join with accusation, then know that you have joined with the accuser. You have joined with the ministry of Apollyon. And what is your intent with your accusation? Oh, maybe you should think about that before you get involved with accusation. Is your intent simply to destroy your opposition? Do you want to see them destroyed? Well, so does Apollyon. Apollyon wants to see his opposition destroyed. And he's going to use accusation, a spirit of escalating accusation to get it. You, dear saint, aren't called to accusation. You are called to follow the one who has risen to the right hand of God. Whoever lives to make intercession. Does Jesus have every right to accuse us before God? Does he have every right to say, God, release your wrath upon every one of those human beings down there immediately? He absolutely has every right to accuse at a level that Satan could only dream of. But he doesn't do it. Could Jesus have accused the woman caught in adultery? If there was anyone who could actually pick up a stone and rightfully stone that woman to death right then and there, it was Jesus. He absolutely has every right to dispense the wrath of God. And in the fullness of time, he will do exactly that. The book of Revelation shows us there are seven bowls of wrath that Jesus dispenses upon the earth for his invitation to salvation, his invitation to intercession doesn't last forever. The day will come when the ark will close and everyone has made their decision. In the fullness of time, the wrath will come but it's not because of accusation. It's because of the justice of God. The ones who refused redemption, the ones who were stood condemned from the beginning, would not repent of their condemnation, will get what their hearts long for. They will receive the wrath of God. But we're not in that day, thank God. But that day is coming, and we are to warn others of a coming day of wrath. We need to warn others that wrath is coming. But today, today is a day of salvation. Today is to, a day to join with the great intercessor, the one mediator between man and God, and pray for souls to answer gently, gently. We need to answer gently, like Paul says in his second letter to Timothy. Answer gently those who oppose you. 
these, this rising tide of opposers of God, these accusers, these destroyers of the earth, answer them gently. Pray for them that they might turn. How do we overcome Satan's campaign to bring accusation, this culture of accusation? Paul says, answer gently. Stand for the truth. Jude says, contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. Answer gently but firmly. Answer in love and truth. And warn them of a day of wrath that is coming. A day of wrath that is coming for them. The Bible says that the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. They have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb, through the word of their testimony, and that they did not love their life even to death. Catch the progression there. The child rises to the throne of God, War breaks out in heaven. The dragon and his angels are expelled. They are thrown down to the earth. So the victory of Jesus rising, taking his place at the right hand of his father, leads to the expelling of the accuser. His place, his role is gone. Michael and his angels are dispatched to expel Satan from heaven. The dragon and his angels are driven from heaven. It says, verse 10, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Apollyon, the accuser, thrown down by the work of Christ. Expelled from heaven, but he's not finished yet. He is thrown down to the earth. That's where you and I live. And he's at work behind the scenes. Doing what? He's building an opposition party. The opposer is creating opposition. How is he doing it? He's doing it through the spirit and ministry of accusation. So when we look around, we look at social media, we see accusations flying with increased intensity and volume. There is an entity behind the scenes at work. He's building an opposition party. 
the Psalm 2 rage of the nation, the accusations, the opposition against Yahweh, the Ancient of Days. There is a celebration in heaven when Satan is evicted. There is a celebration, a victory chant, a victory cry. Now the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. The keys of death and Sheol are held in the hands by one man. And that one man is risen, exalted above the highest heaven. His kingdom, his authority will never end. And the accuser has been cast down. But what about us on earth? What are we supposed to do? How do we overcome this spirit of accusation, this ministry of accusation? The Bible says, they, who are they? They are the saints on the earth have conquered him. Who's him? The dragon, Satan. The saints have conquered Satan in three ways. There are three legs on this stool. The first way they have overcome him is by the blood of the lamb. What does that mean? That means the victory is secured. It's not something I did. It's not something you did. It is something that only one man could have done, and he did it. The blood of the lamb means there is no more accuser before God. Our sins are forgiven. The ground of accusation has been removed. Now there is only an intercessor before God on our behalf. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. We overcome the dragon because Jesus overcame the dragon, and our victory is in him. Our victory is secured by him. We overcome the dragon by the blood of the lamb. That's leg number one. Leg number two is that we overcome the dragon by the word of our testimony. We don't shut our mouths. We do not remain quiet. We declare the kingdom of God and of his Christ, the authority, power, the sovereign reign of Jesus Christ. We run our mouths until we can run our mouths no more. Why? Because we believe. It takes faith to testify. Leg number one, the blood of the lamb, is the work of Christ. Leg number two, the testimony of the saints, is faith. Leg number three, they did not love their lives even unto death. That is reliance. Reliance. 
The only way we can overcome death is by relying on the one who has already overcome death. It is the minute-by-minute, moment-by-moment reliance on Jesus Christ that will bring us home. We cannot rely on anything else. We must rely fully on Him. Reliance. Those are the three legs. We overcome them by the blood of the Lamb, the work of Christ, the word of our testimony, faith, declarations. We do not love our lives even unto death. We rely on Jesus every moment, and He gives us the power to bring us home. That is how the saints overcome the dragon. And that is how we overcome the accusations, the spirit of accusations, the cancel culture, the woke belief that everyone is guilty. And you know what? At the end of the day, you're right. We are all guilty, aren't we? We're all guilty of whatever, far more than whatever some woke cancel culture dude can accuse you of. You're guilty of far more than whatever wokeism can come up with today. Far deeper is your guilt before God. But the answer is not accusation. Yes, you are guilty. But the answer is an accusation. That is the ministry of Satan. We are guilty. We need to be forgiven. We need redemption. We need intercession before God. We need an intercessor who has shed perfect blood, who has every right to accuse and judge and condemn us. but instead mediates for us, stands in the gap between a holy God and our sinful hearts. And we have just such an intercessor before heaven, a risen, exalted, forever reigning at the right hand of God. So dear saint, don't take part in all these accusations that are flying don't accuse, you don't need to accuse anybody. Satan will do that for you. Leave the accusations to Satan. You, my friend, intercede. You, my friend, overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of your testimony, and that you don't love your life even unto death. So that pretty much sums it up for today. I appreciate you listening. I hope it's a blessing to you. I hope I'm praying, believing the Lord's using me in your life to cause your heart to come alive more in Him. You draw closer to Him. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, I just want to be accused and guilty of spurring saints to believe more, to trust more, to love more, 
our great intercessor, Jesus Christ. So that's my hope. That's my aim. I hope you're blessed by this episode. If it's a blessing to you, please pass it on. Um, I, I really appreciate the endorsements I'm getting in social media. Thank you. I really, really, really appreciate it. Because, you know, here I am. I don't really know what I'm doing. I, I'm walking by faith. And if I'm not getting feedback from the saints, it can, it can get very lonely. And I can very quickly wonder, like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? But if you let me know that you're being blessed, it goes a long way to motivate me to continue to level up. Because I would love to continue to level up. And if you believe this, my ministry, what the Lord's calling me to do here, is a blessing to you. I'm asking you to pass it on. Thank you. Appreciate you. Remember to be watching the signs of the times. Praying. Agreeing with God's redemptive purposes in the earth. Cooperating with the Spirit of God proclaiming the gospel the power of God unto salvation be watching be praying and be proclaiming the gospel that concludes this episode of Babylon's Singularity I want to thank you for tuning in if you're looking to hear more from me, you can find me on Twitter as well as my website, BabylonSingularity.com. I've also authored a book titled Babylon, available on Amazon. I look forward to hearing any thoughts or feedback, comments that you may have to help me make this show better. I do hope it's a blessing to you, and I hope that you'll tune in next time to Babylon Singularity.